Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and I've got a bit of a head cold right now. It's a little tough for me to talk, and my nose is just running down my face, and I am constantly having to clean, clean the area off. This is a lot of information that you probably don't need to hear, but it's that time in Minnesota where the, the weather doesn't know what's going on, and my body uh, is reacting to the heavens, saying, no. No, I do not like to feel good this time of year. Uh, this has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about, but it may have go a little ways toward explaining why I sound so stuffed up this week. But it doesn't matter because I am not the one you need to be listening to this week. The person you need to be listening to this week is a very, very special guest who I encountered online and had they have a connection to the Bears. And I thought, you know what? I am going to bring this very, very special guest onto the show and let them share their story, their expertise, and their insight into aspects of not necessarily just the Berenstain Bears, but the world of toys that I find so engaging and so intriguing. So before I ramble on any further, let's cut to my conversation with this week's guest. Hi, uh, my name is Stephanie Eskander, and I am a toy designer. I've been designing primarily girls' toys for about 35 years. So I started my career in the early 80s and have been designing toys, dolls, preschool toys, some boys' toys. And I, I, I don't want to go off on the tangent of gender-neutral toys and, and gendered toys, but in the toy industry, we do still call them girls' toys, boys' toys, although I'm happy to have anybody play with any of the toys that I design, whether they're boys or girls. So that's kind of my background, and I, I left my most recent job in 2016. I was working as design director at Madame Alexander Doll Company in New York City, and uh, now I'm, I moved 2,000 miles away from that, and I'm freelancing. I'm also teaching art, teaching drawing, and a local university and um, going to fan conventions and just having a great time. Now, I came across you uh, quite by accident, actually. It was uh, my coworker who sits in the, uh, in the cubicle next to me. She is a toy collector. And she followed you on uh, follows you on Instagram, and you had posted something about uh, a design work you had done for a Berenstain Bears line. And she knows that I do this show, and so she just sort of tagged me in a little post. And so I looked into your into your profile, and I was like, "Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! This is exactly the <laughs> this is exactly the kind of thing that I am just." eager to hear more about. Uh, I guess my first question for you is, how did you get started in the toy industry? It's a, it's, it's an interesting story. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who follow me on Instagram, write, you know, send me direct messages to ask me, how can they get into toy design? And I have to say that the path that I got into toy design is different than the path of young people who might be interested in getting into it today. So I'll just tell you how I got into toys. Oh, definitely. 
And, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a path that, you know, anybody can, can do or get into. But um, I actually started my career as an illustrator. I was, uh, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in illustration. I specialized in children's illustration. And I was actually an advertising and children's illustrator for 10 years before I even discovered toys. So I was kind of a late comer in, into the toy industry. I was already a mom. I had two kids when I started designing toys. So what happened? I was living in Los Angeles area and um, I had been working for a large ad agency in LA. And when I, when I left to have my first child, I decided to freelance and it was very uh, lucrative to be an advertising illustrator in Los Angeles at that time. I don't know how it is now, but I had more freelance work than I could handle. And so I started kind of specializing in children's accounts. So I was doing advertising illustration for fast food chains, for Disneyland, Universal Studios, fast, uh, I already said fast food, um, uh, and then I started doing illustration work for Mattel's ad agency, Tommy Toys ad agency. And through that, that kind of opened some doors for me. I was working for, I was freelancing for a small ad agency that was doing the advertising for a small toy company called Small World Toys in Los Angeles. And they decided to work with me directly. And so they hired me to design some doll boxes to do the artwork because I was really an illustrator. And then they liked the doll boxes so much. Then they asked me to design a line of puzzles, those little wooden puzzles with the little pegs that oh, you yeah. picture. So I designed a line of wooden puzzles and that kind of opened the door, you know, toward thinking about toys. And so about the same time or, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, I heard that Mattel was having a job fair. And at this point, I was also illustrating for some children's magazines, freelance. And so I had a pretty good portfolio of children's art, even though not product design, but children's artwork. And so I went to this job fair in the fall of 1984, and they hired me on the spot. I mean, it was like, you've got the job. When can you start? So I, um, when I went to work uh, that very first day, they said, they brought me in and said, well, do you, would you like to work in packaging design or product design? And that was really a dilemma for me because it made more sense for me to work in package design because that was more graphic design illustration, which was really what I did. But I just kind of, kind of went, ah, I think I'd like product design. That sounded like more fun. And honestly, that was just one of those pivotal moments that you have in your life where it just changed my life. Because that opened up so many doors that had I done package design, I would have stayed in L.A., I would have, you know, probably stayed at Mattel or worked, you know, kind of locally. But but product design put me in a situation where I was one of a small group of people in a in an international industry that there's not tons and tons of toy designers. And um, so it, I was I, I was able to do what I did best, which was create and draw and do cute and all that kind of stuff and, and learn this, the 3D skills that I needed to be a toy designer because toy design isn't just about drawing. You have to be able to, you know, you're doing three-dimensional objects. So you have to learn how to draw front view, side view, back view. You've got to learn how to do play sets, things that, you know, open and, and that, that are mechanical. You know, there's a lot of things to learn and I could draw pretty well. But I learned those things on the job. But it would, the, that was just one of those 
decisions that I made that I'm so grateful that I was bold enough to say, "Mm," you know, I want to do product design. So um, that was, that led me to working for Mattel, which, you know, you can't beat working for Mattel. Uh, And then uh, not more than a year later, I was wooed away by Hasbro. And so by this point I had three children and my husband and I, we, you know, uprooted ourselves from Southern California, moved cross country, and I went to work for Hasbro, and I was there for four years, and then I was kind of wooed away by Tonka Toys, and then we, we all moved to Minnesota, where Tonka was, and I worked for them until they were bought by Hasbro and shut down. By this point, I had a fourth baby, and, uh, and then I was um, freelancing, and I sold a, a toy concept to Fisher-Price, so then they hired me, and so then we moved to Western New York, Buffalo area, to work for Fisher Price, and then eventually Mattel bought Fisher Price, and they transferred me back to LA. So I went back to to Mattel uh, after a few years, and so I kind of made this big circle. After being in Mattel a few years, I really was unhappy with being in the corporate environment. I really wanted to try to work for myself. So I uh, left Mattel in the late 90s and had my own studio for the next 12 years at home and worked for lots of fun clients. It, it, that's the time. Actually, that Berenstain Bear project was done in the 90s, not the 80s. Oh, really? Yeah, it was done. In the, um, was done in, and I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a minute. But I during that time, from the late 90s till about 2000, well, till... I went back. I went to work for um, Spin Master Toys in 2009. That was during the recession, and so um, I had had my studio since 1997. So that was about 12 years, and I went to work for Spin Master for a couple of years and was shockingly laid off in to end of 2011. So 2012. By this time, our kids are grown, and um, I accepted a job at Toys R Us in Wayne, New Jersey. So my husband and I moved cross-country again, but by ourselves this time, and uh, I worked for Toys R Us and Madame Alexander. Anyway, so that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm um, not, I'm not as actively pursuing toy design projects. I've been doing some fan conventions, and I'm working on a book, and I'm doing all kinds of, you know, projects for myself that I want to do. Freelance work comes my way. That's great, but... Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm kind of letting the younger designers take their place. I'm I am teaching. I do guest lectures. I sponsor uh, university projects for you know to, uh, aspiring designers, industrial designers, toy designers. I've sponsored um, a couple of college um, semester-long college projects. I taught at Otis college of art and design for uh, a few semesters. So, you know, it's just been a really fun career. Toys has just opened so many doors for me and it's, it's been really fun. So there you go in a nutshell. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that you have worked for everyone at this point. Like, and if I didn't work for them full time, I freelanced for them. So, uh, you know, there are a few companies that by the time I went to work on my own were gone uh, you know, that I would have loved to have worked for, you know, Kenner, Tyco, um, you know, I could uh, ideal mm. some of those great names in the toy business that I didn't get to freelance for. But uh, Galoob, uh, maybe I did a little bit of work for Galoob. But uh, anyway, that that's kind of it. So, yeah, it's been really fun and really rewarding. So when did you uh, like 
at what point did you start designing toys? Like what, what year about was that? Um, I think the first project that I did was about 1981. That was when I started doing the projects for small world toys. The, the puzzle I did, I think the puzzles were done in 82. The doll boxes were done in 81. So it's been, gosh, it's getting close to 40 years since I did, but you know, all those years that I was an illustrator, I had no, I had, I didn't have a clue about toys. You know I mean? It wasn't like one of those things that in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do it. It just, it, it, as I think about it now, it's like, well, duh, why didn't I think about it? But I was originally, I wanted to be a children's book illustrator. And then once I discovered how competitive and how hard, and so I admire the Berenstains for, you know, that, particular aspect. In fact, when I first started looking for an agent to do books, of course, Berenstain Bears with, with mass market books were such a huge part of the publishing industry. Um, but it, I know how hard it is to break into that field and it's so competitive. Toy design worked for me because it was a smaller industry and I could excel, you know, whereas I probably never would have been like Maurice Sendak or one of the big you know, children's illustrators. And I had too many styles. And so toys was perfect too, because I could do fanciful, I could do cute, I could do stylized, you know, I could do, I could experiment with lots of different styles. So that was a real plus for me. So yeah, it's been, it's been pushing, you know, like 38 years or so since I did my first toys. Well, it's fascinating to me is how almost parallel your story runs with the Berenstains in the sense that they started out, they went to art school, they got their jobs doing uh, illustration, they were cartoonists, they did magazine work, and they kind of discovered children's books just at the time when there was this sudden boom in children's publishing with Dr. Seuss and with the uh, with beginner books. Uh, and you came into the toy industry in the early 80s, which was kind of an interesting time for toys because all of a sudden there were all these licensed toys that were that were hitting the that had not existed before i mean that was a uh, it was a big boom and and yet there i don't know percentage wise uh, my guess is that there's more licensed toys now than there were then but we lamented at that time the the number of licensed toys that there were in the 80s because that was a big a big boom and it was such a novelty you know strawberry shortcake care bears uh, of course, Star Wars, which really led the the pack into creating these entertainment, huge entertainment um, categories that hadn't even existed. Sure, there had been, you know, Mickey Mouse toys and licensed toys uh, before that, you know, starting from the 30s when Mickey Mouse first came out and Snow White. There were lots of toys back in the 30s and Shirley Temple and all of these kind of properties that were licensed. But the 80s was really a huge boom. In, in licensing and 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 I do have strong opinions about it and and it's um, it's tough because um, some people love it some people hate it I'm a little bit in between you know I'm just grateful for projects that I've had whatever they are you know I'm there's been very few things that I've worked on that I haven't enjoyed immensely and even when it's something that I don't have as much creative freedom on like certain licenses. Um, it's still always an enjoyable experience. And so, you know, I'm a little bit in between, but I do have some strong opinions. Now, I uh, I 
posted on my own Facebook page that I was going to be interviewing you because I was very excited about the fact that you were in the original team that was behind the design of the first Popples that hit the market. And when I saw that, I was just, I, I posted on my page, I'm going to be talking to one of the designers of the original run of Popples and the flood of people who were so excited for like, that's like a rock star status. That's, that's this niche toy that people who are pass passionate about are very passionate about. I, uh, you might, I don't know if you can see it, but can you see my back on the shelf behind me in the corner? Oh, you can't really see it from here. But anyway, I have one of my original popples. Oh, wow. There. So that's one of those toys that came to you as a prototype. And then you looked at it and you were like, we can make this work. We can make this. Popples is such an interesting project because um, I have had so much fun with this Instagram account. I, I started it in August and I was getting ready to attend GemCon. I was asked to be a special guest at GemCon. And that's another another 80s toy that has a huge cult following. And I was a designer, but not the main designer. I was one designer on Gem. And actually, I came in on the second year. So, But I did do some some dolls that were have been quite popular. But anyway, um, I had a point. And what was it? Um, Oh, anyway, I had gone to GemCon, and and so I decided to start a new Instagram account that was just for toy design. So I did, and I started having this, you know, I started discovering people, and people started discovering me, and um, I was through, and it wasn't even somebody I followed, but I somehow somebody posted something, and then I followed somebody, or I looked at somebody, and they they were working for those characters from Cleveland, which is the which is American Greetings licensing company that that developed Popples and Care Bears and all of those. They, you know, American Greetings had a separate division and they still do, but it's 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 changed. You know, it's not exactly the same company. Anyway, this fellow who was not around back in the 80s, he had found a whole bunch of prototypes and drawings. And so I contacted him personally and asked him for permission to republish one of his photos and then he sent me a whole buttload of drawings and things the thing that was so funny was that i had never seen these images since 1985 and i went you know when we did popples it we changed it so much which is really unusual usually when a licensor approaches a toy company they've already established a look you know when strawberry shortcake came to um kenner Strawberry Shortcake was already a, a popular greeting card line in books and things, and then Kenner did the toys. Well, Popples wasn't quite that well-developed. They had a, a basic idea, and then they sent us these plush creatures that were not attractive, were kind of browns and grays with maybe some peach and big noses, and they were really funny-looking. And I was part of a very small team. There were probably four of us, four or five of us, and we took that and just turned it into the popples that you know. And then as time progressed, you know, as I started thinking about it, and I, I came across a draw, uh, you know, some artwork that was done by American Greetings or, or possibly those characters from Cleveland. It wasn't produced by Mattel. It was just some, you know, they would produce all of the artwork that we would use on packaging and, you know, uh, premiums and things like that. 
uh, we didn't necessarily have in-house staff at Mattel. We were the designers of the product. And I don't, I don't believe our packaging design team did those illustrations. They were created by American Greetings or, or TCFC. Anyway, I came upon this drawing. It was the nine, I think it was nine original popples. And I looked at that and I just, it just jogged this memory. And I said, I drew those. I mean, I drew those original drawings, not, not those very ones, but I created the artwork that those were based on. And my first thought was, nah, you know, there were like five of us. It, it Maybe it was somebody else that did that. But I, I started thinking and remembering who who was on that staff. And I thought, no, I would have been the one because I was the one. I just was the one that they would have asked to draw those. And so the more I think about it, it's kind of like, yeah, I did do those. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I never take credit for something that I didn't do. I always want to share credit with everybody. You know, almost any project is a team effort. There's very few projects that one person just comes in and does it. But, but I did, you know, I did um, have a, a big role in the popples, and I did their eyes. You know, I designed all their eyes, and the very I was so inexperienced as a toy designer that the very first prototype I painted of the eyes I did with oil paint, which takes like what three days to dry. <laughs> I painted this eye and then I scraped my fingernail across it and had a little, you know, gouge out of it. And we, we, we had a presentation and we had to stick that on the, the doll. And I'll, I still remember seeing that just going, oh, my gosh, I'm so dumb. But, you know, of course, later I learned what kind of paints we use, you know, to use for prototyping and everything. But, um, yeah, I was I was part of that team. Very proud. And but at the time, we had no idea that. 30 years later, Popples was going to become this big favorite. I mean, it was just one of the things that I worked on. I was also working on Rainbow Bright. I was working on Lady Lovely Locks and My Child, which were some other, uh, you know, popular uh, toys that Mattel was doing at the time. But I was only there a year. And then I went on to Hasbro. And so, you know, you, you move on. That's, you know, how the toy business is. You work on a project. Sometimes you're working on two or three at the same time. You move on. You know, you don't... Uh, philosophize about it you just go to the next project well one of the focuses of the show one of the things i always talk about on this show is that uh the berenstain bears books and projects and products that come out are even uh, you know according to mike berenstain he thinks of them as you know there's something that you you take you consume as a child and then you you move on you kind of forget about it there he thinks of them as as somewhat disposable uh objects uh not in a cynical way but just like you don't, you're not supposed to hang on to them. He doesn't understand why I do this show. But, <laughs> but one of the th things I always talk about in this show is that no matter what kind of project you're looking at, no matter how, uh, from the, from the draw, the, the drawings on packaging to, uh, to the grandest, you know, painting on the side of a building, you, you have real artists and craftspeople working behind the scenes, uh, putting their all into it, really trying to create the best thing they can, uh, no matter how, you know, like, no matter how cynical the money people at the top may be about it, it's, there are real human beings and real artists working on these things. And from a, from a design perspective, from a, from an art perspective, like, when you, when you first begin designing something, how much of that is, you're simply trying to create something according to the to the strictures of the license holder or the or the person who's hired you and how much of it is you know the 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 inspiration of an artist 
You know, I think we always try to push it a little bit. You know, there's a there's a, a phrase that we use sometimes in licensing. It's called label slapping, which means, you know, it's kind of that thing when you've got a Popple's lunchbox where it's just, you know, the Aladdin company manufactures a, light, a, a lunchbox and they just slap a Popple's, some Popple's artwork. They didn't create the artwork. The licensor created the artwork. It's That's label slapping. And so what you don't want to do is you, when you're working with a licensed property, you don't want to just make it, so it's just the basic, you know, like whether it's a doll or a playset, just that world, you always want to add some magic to it. And, you know, some licensors are more difficult to work with than others are more demanding. You know, I think probably the toughest would be Disney, uh, where they have very strict control over everything that you do, you know, every color, every, you know, every approval, um, down to smaller licenses that give you a little bit more leeway. Um, So it's always fun to work with a licensor that, that, gives you more creative control. You know, there's there's a lot of stories about um, wonderful concepts. You know, I think Tickle Me Elmo is a great example. That was uh, I, I, the, the company that did the invention or the, the inventing agent that did that as a friend of mine. I worked with him for years. And, and um, originally that was a Tickle Me, I think it might have been a bear. And, and so they submitted that to Tyco, it was done by Tyco Toys, and they loved it. But the only way they would buy it is if they could turn it, you know, sell it as a licensed character because they didn't feel that the, that the concept was strong enough on its own to sell enough. As soon as they put it on Elmo, it, you know, took off and became a huge, huge hit. But of course, there's a downside. The inventor probably had his royalty reduced because Children's Television Workshop, who you know is the licensor for Sesame Street, um, you know they take a good a good percentage, and then you know some most companies have a certain allocation of, of royalties, what percentage they'll pay, and if the licensor demands a higher, then that, that means the inventor gets less money. So you know for the inventors, they they love it because it's going to sell more toys, but it also means that they're going to get less of a royalty. And if it isn't successful, then darn, you know, so there's upsides and there's downsides and, and each company is a little bit different. Like I said, you know, Disney is notoriously strict and as, as they should be, you know, they have a a lot to protect, but we always want to, you know, I think we always want to add some extra magic and not just label slap, not just, uh, throw the name of the character onto something that's generic just so it'll sell you know that there's always something fun and magical about it well speaking of working with these licensed characters uh let's talk about the the berenstain bears work you did uh in the 90s uh do you recall how that came about yeah i um i was uh as freelancing during that time i think this was maybe 98 about 1998, might have been 99. Uh, anyway, I was contacted by Applause. Are you familiar with Applause? Yes, I am. The gift company, and um, they were in Southern California. I was in Southern California. I had a, 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 an acquaintance that worked at Applause, and so they contacted me and asked me if, if I'd be interested in working on this project, and they didn't tell me what it was, and I went down there, and they, you know, I spent a morning 
down there sitting down looking and and uh, reviewing Berenstain Bears. And what the project was, was to create a line of baby products using the Berenstain Bears. And honestly, because I was a freelancer, I wasn't dealing with the Berenstains. And so I don't have any knowledge of, of what the... Um, you know, contract was what the requirements were. I was creating the artwork. And so it was, it was actually a really fun project and it was kind of before computer for me. I, um, I started, you, I, I started using the computer for my artwork in the mid nineties, but I would, but really up until recently, I, I still draw everything by hand. Then I would scan it into the computer and do all the color work on the computer and everything. But I was still, uh, doing a lot of the work uh, by hand and using markers and things for for the color. So I was just just getting started using the computer. So uh, my work was kind of in that between stage. I was drawing it by hand and and doing some of the work uh, with markers and some of the work on the com uh, color work on the computer. So um, the design director who contacted me had given me several. Uh, concepts that they had they were they wanted to do a bath set uh, they wanted to do a, um, a baby book which I thought was really cute you know with the little baby Berenstain Bear in a little cradle and you know so we created a rockabye baby graphic and you know there were going to be um, paper goods and, and and books as well as some toys the toys I guess would have been a little bit label slapping ish in the sense that um they you know there will be some kind of items like like a little um soap dish or something that would have a little berenstain bear uh one of the things that was really fun was um what we call play mat now this is kind of developmental again i said this this line was designed for children and toddlers and so and and it was funny because you were asking about um, artistic license and you know taking things a little bit further and I designed a boys playmat and a girls playmat this is a kind of an activity where the child sits on the floor it's not a baby one it's not the kind that's got rattles and things in it it's the kind where you've probably seen them that it might have a little street scene and the little little child would take cars and drive around the street oh yes um, that kind of a thing so I did a little boys well we call it you know a boys playmat that was like a little town and then there was a, a, a little girl's play mat that was like, it had the tree house. It had, it was like Berenstain Bear land. It had like their tree house and it had little dot, little figures that could go into pockets. And um, so really cute, you know, each one of the characters, the mom and the dad and the kids and, you know, the little windows and things were hidden. And, and it was really fun because I felt like, I could do almost anything I wanted within a reasonable world of Berenstain Bears. It was, um, you know, this, the town that I could do. Sure, I used the books. I had a bunch of books, and I looked and got referenced, but it was kind of, I could do kind of what I wanted to. So that was really fun. The other items were a little bit more traditional. Uh, like I said, there was a bath set. There was uh, actually an infant set, a diaper bag that had, uh, Berenstain Bears logo and and things on it. So the, in a way, that was kind of the label slapping stuff. But um, those play mats was the most fun thing I did. I thought that I did because it was so kind of open ended. Mm -hmm. uh, did any but, of this stuff ever get produced? As far as I know, not. And I don't know why the 
the hazards of freelancing is that um, your client almost never contacts you a year down the road and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to send you a box full of your toys that you designed. You have to just find them by accident or, you know, it, it just, it may happen. I, I can't tell you how many things that I looked for that I never found because I, a really high percentage of stuff I designed never happens. That's a whole other story. Or things that I thought were never produced that I find out later actually were. As far as I know, these weren't. Um, but it would be awesome to find. I, I did do a search after I posted that to just see if I could find anything, and I couldn't. But it was still fun, you know, and it was it was actually a fun license because the style guide, which is what you call the, that, you know, it could be as, as thick as a book that gives you all the particulars, was, was like a sheet. It was just the colors of each of them, you know, like you, when you do the dots on the outfit, they can't have a black outline that, you know, and it showed the artwork. There weren't tons. It wasn't a book full of, you can't do this and you, here's the proportions and you can't do that. It was a little bit more open ended. So I found that a lot more fun. Well, it's fascinating because uh, a couple of summers ago, we went to the strong museum of play in Rochester, New York. And we actually went into the Berenstain archives there, uh, which was fascinating. But there's a ton of toy designs uh, in that archive from another, I guess, either maybe a, as a similar period of time. This was an era when they were really trying to find their niche in the toy market. Like, you never really thought of Berenstain Bears and the toy shelves as kind of some, they were very much a book series. And... Uh, it's fascinating because all those toys were very much uh, like Sister Bear, like Beauty Kit and uh, the Bear Scouts, like outdoorsy stuff. And this is the first example of like baby items I've seen because this was around the time they were get gearing up. If this was late 90s, they were gearing up to introduce the new baby into the family. And so it seems like sense yeah see you know the background and i don't by that by the late 90s my children were all too old for berenstain bears so i didn't you know i didn't have the books and didn't necessarily follow the license so that's that's good to know and it's really interesting to see these things that that never hit the shelves uh my my friends who went to rochester with me uh brad and jeremy are two huge berenstain well brad's the He's the world, the Guinness World Record holder for largest Berenstain Bears collection in the world. Uh, he has a museum in Austin, Minnesota. It's fantastic, but uh, it's uh, they are they they salivate over these drawings because these are the collectibles they will never they will never touch. They will never actually get to collect, but they actually exist. Like your designs are are vibrant and powerful and three dimensional. Uh, like you could honestly tell what these things would have been like to hold in your hand and i think it's just wonderful you know i haven't really thought about that it, and it's funny too the the world of toy fandom and i suppose it'd be the same thing with book fandom or anything you know disney star wars people are so hungry for information and for things that they don't know you know the the secrets trade secrets and all that stuff and and i'm starting to learn that that's kind of where i fit in because I've got a lot of these kind of stories and things to tell. Um, interesting that you mentioned the Strong Museum of Play. Uh, about a year ago, they contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in donating my design archives to them. And so last summer, after I went to GemCon, that was in Cleveland, 
I flew out to Cleveland with a big suitcase full of my design files. And then I rented a car and drove to Rochester, New York, and met with the archivist and, and went through and donated a huge portion of my files, especially the larger pieces to them. And they've, you know, uh, I don't know if they'll ever display anything, but I thought who better to have it. I, I still have tons of stuff here. Um, eventually I'll probably send them off some more boxes, but I like to, uh, to, you know, document everything, scan everything, digitize it before I photographed everything with my 35 millimeter camera. But, um, I, uh, I should have scanned more things. A lot of them were large. So it was easier for me to just photograph them. And, and I wish that I had uh, maybe scanned them and, and done a little bit better job because now they're they're gone, you know, they're at the museum, but it, it's a great museum. And if any of your uh, listeners and, and um, followers ever want to go and spend some time there, they have a, a wonderful archive as well as the displays that they have all the time. And I love that they do a lot of contemporary and semi-contemporary stuff. It's not all toys from the 1800s, you know, which is fun in and of itself, but you know, to see stuff from the 80s and 90s and 60s and 70s, you know, things I played with as a child in the 50s and 60s, things my kids played with in the 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, they're all there. So it's a great museum. And I'm really, I'm really happy to have, uh, you know, be a part of, of their um, archives. I think that's wonderful because they are, they are just, it's such a wonderful resource and the librarians there are amazing and the archivists are amazing and uh, so happy to have people go through the, the archives. Like if you're, yeah, if you're planning on taking a trip up to that area, you know, call them ahead of time. You can probably set up something and they'll, they'll let you in as a researcher. Cause it's, it's great. It's a great time. Now you don't just design toys though. You also have quite a collection. I do. Um, the, sadly though, I had to, I, we've downsized. Uh -huh. you know, we, we're empty nesters now. And we had a big house in California that we, um, rented out in 2012 when when my husband and I went out to New Jersey to work for Toys R Us and we put every, we put everything in storage but before we went we sold a lot of things uh, I had a a blog a collector blog for a year I I posted one of my collections every day for a year every day but but uh, every day Monday through Friday and then the weekends I would feature another collector they weren't all toys but I I did have a lot of toys since then I've had, you know, I've sold things and given things away, but yeah, my, if you can see behind me, I have a lot of toys. Um, and now because I, I uh, stupidly sold a bunch of the stuff that I had done uh, on Etsy before we moved to New Jersey. Now I'm trying to get them back. So people are, I'm buying them back, you know, eBay or people are sending me things, you know, people who've met me through Instagram or through fan conventions, they send me stuff. It's just awesome. And sometimes I buy them and sometimes they just offer them to me. So I have a shelf uh, behind me of all the stuff that people that I design, that people who know me have sent me just maybe they have an extra one. They just are so kind, you know, that toy people are some of the greatest people on um, on the face of the earth, you know, they've just got a playfulness and a happiness about them. And I, you know, I'm just proud to be part of that community. Well, we are all about legacy on this program. I am all about legacy. And I would say you have, 
you have quite the legacy in the toy world. Uh, I just think uh, that the things you've contributed, the just the the fact that your designs have brought so much happiness to people, the fact that you are still active in the community and that you love sharing your stories and that you love uh, interacting with the fandom and with the uh, and with collectors, I just it just makes me happy. It puts a smile on my face just to see you sharing your work with the world uh, because there are so many, I believe, unsung artists out there who have contributed to our happiness that I just love seeing. I love putting a face to the name and a name to the project. It's just, I think it's just great. Well, I'm going to just let you in on one more little secret. And this, this is the fact that um, up until about a year ago, I never talked about what I did wow. to anyone. Almost anybody, you know, people in my family knew, of course, my kids and people generally knew I was a toy designer. But the the toy industry, like a lot of industries, is very secretive. You know, I mentioned before trade secrets, you know, and so um, before social media, which, you know, really made it a lot easier. Actually, I kind of started talking about it when I had a blog. I blogged for about 10 years and I would occasionally talk, especially if something I designed came out, then I would talk about it on the blog. That was kind of the. Um, the benchmark, I guess, for revealing things was if it was actually you could buy it on the toy shelves, then I felt free to talk about it. But I never talked about the things that I designed that never happened, like the Berenstain Bears. I would never have talked about it. And, you know, you you get used to not talking about things because that's just the nature of your industry. You sign non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality agreements, and you don't want you know, you you don't ever want to be accused of revealing something that you don't have the right to do. So I'm really careful to not talk about things that I've done within the last couple of years. And, and, and I'm, I'm a lot more open about stuff that I did earlier, but I never talked about it. And most people just said, I never knew you did that. I didn't know you did that. And so now I feel a lot more free to do that. But I think a lot of my colleagues are still in that kind of secrecy mode I never out anybody, you know, in my writing. I don't, you know, if I, if somebody says, oh, I wonder who designed this, I don't, I, I might say, well, I know that person, but I would never give the name or do anything like that because I want to respect their privacy. If they want to come out and say, yes, I designed that particular product, then that's fine, but I'm not going to be the one to share that without their permission. And, uh, you know, so I, but some of those people I've contacted and they just, they don't really want to talk about it. And so there, I think it's there is a culture of secrecy, and I'm sure that that's true in a lot of industries. You know, it's particular in the toy industry. You know, there's been espionage and you know all kinds of intrigue in toys with concepts being stolen, and you know it it it, it rears its ugly head every once in a while. There's a book came out probably 20 years ago now called Toy Wars. And it, it's really true. You know, there's there's been a lot of, you know, especially between Hasbro and Mattel and, you know, all of these kind of things. So I, I never wanted to be a part of anything negative. I, I like the part of toys I like is I love children. You know, I love making kids happy. My goal has always been to bring happiness to kids. And as a parent, you know, I knew what my kids liked and I would have them what do you think about this? And they would tell me what they think. And that helped me to be a better toy designer, I think, having kids. But, you know, it was never all about how much money I could make or how successful a toy was. Did it win awards? Did I win awards? I didn't care. But when somebody said, that toy made me so happy as a child, that's what it's all about. That's what makes me happy. That's wonderful. Uh, 
And I, I do want to say before we before we go that I read an interview uh, with you in, I want to say it was a Collector's Weekly. Was Collectors Weekly that you it was you talked very much about gender in toys and stuff and you said something that really stuck with me that was uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase this a little bit but it was basically that uh, if you want kids if you want to break kids out of the habit of playing with gendered toys you have to they 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 want to role play and so you have to demonstrate to them what you want them to role play by like you, you, you as a parent or a caregiver have to demonstrate to them that they can break outside, break away from those gender stereotypes and do right. things like that. You know, and, and I've, I, I've never, I've never really been bothered by the fact that there are girls toys and boys toys, because I've always understood that most little girls like to play with dolls. Most little boys like to play with vehicles and action figures. That doesn't mean that all of them do and that we shouldn't design for, you know, design opportunities for little boys to play with dolls and, and all of those kind of things. But I've never had a problem with that. But I do, I've, I've always been the kind of person that feels like a child should be able to follow their dreams and do the things that they want to do. And sometimes things are really timely. You know, uh, back in the in the mid 80s, when I was working for Hasbro, one of my colleagues and I came up with the idea for a line of adventure toys for girls that were because we all had read Nancy Drew mysteries and and all of, you know, we like Encyclopedia Brown. And we thought little girls would like to do spying and adventures and and things. And it turned out that that marketing wasn't supportive of it because too much of what we were doing required little girls to read to read maps and to read. And they said, little girls don't play that way. I mean, they don't read yet. They're too, you know, the girls that we're targeting don't read yet. And that was a real eye opener for me. And then later, of course, adventure toys and Goldie blocks and things came out. And it's just, it's all about the timing. You know, I wanted for years girls to play with Legos and then Lego finally came out with girls products and yeah, maybe they're kind of girly, but if it gets girls building, I think it's just awesome. So, um, baby steps but you know as parents we just we just surround our children with lots of opportunities to play and then let them play with them how they will wonderful well stephanie thank you so much for joining me on my show uh it, this has been a wonderful conversation where can our listeners find you online they can find me at on instagram at steph designs toys that's s-t-e-f designs toys and I have a website, stephanieskanderdesign.com. And uh, that's, I think that's pretty much it. I want to thank Stephanie once again. I know I thanked her. I can thank her a million times. I want to thank Stephanie Eskander for being on the show, for chatting with me for an hour, and for sharing her, her wisdom and her insight and her anecdotes and her stories. It just... Just what a wonderful conversation that was. Uh, and thank you all for listening to this special episode of Deep in Bear Country. I just, I, you know me, I love to, if you listen to the Berenstain Bears and the Bad Dream episode, me and Brian talked, we could just, well, anytime Brian's been on the show, we could just talk for hours about our favorite toys, how much it meant to us, how much it shaped our childhoods, how much it tapped into that avarice of wanting to uh, to collect and to be a part of the worlds that these toys helped create. Just wonderful. Wonderful to talk to someone who helped bring those things into the world, helped shape our childhoods, and helped fill our lives with color and joy and 
exciting characters. And speaking of filling your lives with color and joy and exciting characters, I will be performing May 24th at Moon Palace Books. If you go to my Facebook page, Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast, you'll find a link to the event. And through that link to the event, you'll find a link to tickets where you can buy tickets to see me perform at Moon Palace Books on May 24th. Uh, tickets are $7. There's a few add-ons you can do where you can add on uh, beer or pizza because it is a dinner and a show. So if you are in the Twin Cities area and you want to see me flail about on stage like a Muppet, but like a Muppet that's being controlled by like not a good Muppeteer, but like someone maybe who just wandered into the into the sound stage and was like, I want to I'm going to steal that Muppet. And then maybe they like ran into traffic and they got scared by all the cars and they threw the Muppet at a car to try to make it not hit them. That's the kind of Muppet that I'm going to be like on stage, that Muppet. So if you want to see me come flail uncontrollably on stage and talk about the Berenstain Bears and talk about Deep in Bear Country and talk about myself a lot because who knows what's going to happen once the curtain goes up. There's not a curtain, by the way. It's at Moon Palace Books, May 24th. Tickets are on sale on my Facebook page, through my Facebook page. Uh, go to my Twitter, Bstain Bearcast. You'll find a link there as well. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for supporting the show thank you so much for listening uh we're almost at episode 200 and i am not i could not be more amazed that i've lasted this long uh, i'm going to go drink some very hot tea and take a very good rest and try to get my voice under control because i have to sing this weekend if you're listening to this the day it drops i'm singing tonight can you believe it i'm gonna have to sing a song from a sondheim show in front of human beings and try to entertain them because by the way i have a cold so uh thank you for joining me thank you again stephanie for sharing everything you shared with us and i will see you all next time deep in bear country